Welcome to the Wellness for Educators podcast. I'm your host, Katherine Kennedy. Hey everyone, thank you so much for joining us today. I am so excited to have Hans Apple, an educator, speaker, and writer here to talk to us today. He is deeply committed to inspiring the whole child. He's the author of Award-Winning Culture, Building School-Wide Intentionality and Action Through Character, Excellence, and Community. Additionally, he's the Director of Culture for the Teach Better team, co-host of the Award-Winning Culture podcast, and the co-creator of Award-Winning Culture. Hans, it's so great to have you today. Thank you so much for being here. Oh, I'm excited to be here with you. Thanks for having me. Awesome. So let's jump in. I would love to know more about your book. What led you to writing your book and what's it all about? Yeah, great question. Thanks for asking that. So first off, I believe that education at its highest level is about inspiring others to discover and develop their joy. And isn't that what life is all about, right? Like living out your why, understanding your own unique strengths and passions and aligning those to some deeper meaning. I call that purpose. So I think when we take the time to intentionally craft an award-winning culture, we provide our students with the opportunity to pursue joy. And I say joy specifically, not temporary happiness, but real sustainable joy, despite whatever our kids might be dealing with. And, you know, honestly, I understand those barriers to joy in a deeply personal way. So growing up, I was your classic ACEs kid, child of divorce, abusive home, health issues. I always tell people I could predict what kind of evening it was going to be with my dad based on how the back door slammed. There was a certain noise, a certain frequency I would listen for. Survivors know exactly what I'm talking about. We're often able to take the temperature of the room, able to predict other people's behavior from subtle, indiscriminate signs that most people might completely overlook. I knew how it was going to go with my dad based on how he walked through that door. When I heard that sound, I would scatter. I would pull my best disappearing act. So for me, school became my safe haven, my place I could go. I could be age appropriate. I didn't have to worry about solving complicated adult emotional issues. I could just be a kid. And so it was glorious. So my friends, my coaches, my teachers, they became like family to me. For those that wonder where my passion for big ideas like kindness and empathy and school culture come from, the roots can be directly traced back to these early childhood moments from intentional educators who were focused on far more than math, science, and history. Perhaps academic content is just a vehicle to teach kids what matters most, character, excellence, community. And so I spent basically the last nearly 20 years as an educator at the middle school level. I'm a school counselor. And I met my wife just before college. She was a fourth generation educator. And uh, I just got swept up in the idea of using my influence with students on a daily basis. And so uh, we actually work in the same building. And we've been fortunate enough to really help cultivate a special culture that has taken years to change. It, It really started off as being a very toxic space. And I would say, you know, one of the things that happened years ago was uh, we had a a scary situation where one student assaulted another student and it was in front of a group 
in a classroom. And it was really overwhelming. Uh, I got called in as a counselor. Principals got called in to kind of deal with the aftermath and the trauma of you know what everybody had witnessed and seen. And and the fallout was horrible, right? The, the student was suspended. You know, the everybody in the class was you know in a really bad emotional space for the rest of that spring. And I spent a good amount of time in meetings, really trying to convince people that our school was safe. And I don't think it was safe. And that was a, that was a really like low point I would say in my career. It's probably like 10 years ago, maybe a little more, but it was really horrible. And a couple things really stood out to me during that time, Catherine. One was this wasn't a situation where, you know, one student and, and this other student hated each other. Uh, it wasn't like they got to a point where they just had enough. These were best friends. It was literally like the one student didn't have uh, the ability to regulate their emotions. People, you know, would ask, well, is this a brand new teacher? No. You know, that was one of the other things that I really noticed right off the bat. This was a veteran teacher. She had good classroom management. She had good relationships with kids. This could have happened in any classroom in our school. And the third thing that I really, I, I guess, took away from that whole experience was that even though I felt a lot of personal shame and guilt and frustration at not being able to be there for that student and, and teach that student everything that they needed to do to be successful and healthy and never have this happen, even though I felt so much of that personal shame, I realized in that moment that the entire fate of our school's mental health and emotional well-being could not just rest with one person. And that was sort of a pivot and a turning point where I realized, okay, this work, soft skills, SEL, character ed, all of this stuff, this has to become something that everybody is working on. And so over the next few years, we slowly transitioned from being a reactive school to a proactive school to eventually an intentional school when it came to social emotional learning and, and character ed. And so along the way, people started reaching out to myself as the counselor and my wife, who's the leadership teacher at the school. Both of us have a pretty big part in what's happened at our school and transforming it. And they started reaching out to us from other schools and other districts, wanting to know what's the secret sauce? Like, how are you doing this? How did you, you know, transform your school into, you know, winning all these awards and, and, you know, getting all this recognition for really serving the whole child. And that, that forced my wife, Jennifer and I to sort of search and, you know, do some writing and eventually some speaking. And that led to, you know, training opportunities and other things where now we get to go help schools create and foster these really special places. And so my book, Award-Winning Culture, is really a framework for understanding how to implement this work. Hans, that is such an amazing uh, journey that you've been on. And um, thank you for being vulnerable and sharing your story. I can definitely relate to your childhood experience. And I'm so sorry to hear that you had to go through that with my own experiences at home, very similar. And especially after you found your school as a, as a safe haven as a young person, and then having that 
traumatic experience happen in the school when you're a counselor and having to grapple with thinking like these students could be like what I was when, you know, and needing that safe space and it's not there for them. So how am I going to change this? And having that be kind of like that catalyst to, to push you to a place of this is going to change. This is going to transform. We have to do something about it and, and where to get started. So thank you so much for sharing all of that. It's, it's just an inspirational story. So what are some of the, the keys to successful SEL implementation in your experience? Yeah, I appreciate that question. You know, I, I think first off, it's important to know how important this work is when we talk about SEL and character ed. For every dollar that we spend in K-12 schools just on SEL and character, there's an $11 impact to our society. That's incredible. 11 to 1 ratio. So when we fund this work, we see the impact, right? So when we talk about implementation, there's so many things that, you know, sort of led to the early days of success. I think in the book, I write about big ideas like time, right? Gathering buy-in, articulating your vision, creating a team of people that are going to really lead this work, how to properly roll it out and really creating sort of an understanding of what school-wide delivery really looks like. I think in so many schools, SEL and character and just kind of the, the overall wellness of the school is put onto a person or a couple people. And I think it really requires a mind shift. And so I hope that's what people learn from my book, you know, what it takes to go through that mind shift. I, I talk a lot about, you know, there's, there's implementation science to really guide what we do when we're rolling things out in a school. And I think oftentimes educators don't really understand a lot of the implementation science to create meaningful change. So I, one of the things I always talk about is let's not just focus on year one of implementation, year two, year three, let's actually start at year zero. And I haven't heard a lot of people talk about year zero, zero very often. And that's really the year before implementation starts. Right. That's that's where you really start building that school wide. Why? Right. And so that may include some book studies that may include some bringing some speakers in that may include getting some content and material in teachers hands, in students hands, in parents hands. So people can start to uh, get excited about the idea of making change. So in the book, I, I basically, it's broken down into three topics. I mentioned them earlier, character, excellence, and community. Those are sort of, you know, what we would call our house rules. So character being, will you do the right thing? Excellence being, will you do your very best? And community being, what will you do for others today? So those three questions sort of drive everything that happens at our school, right? So they're not just a poster on the wall, but they really become about, you know, how do we hire new staff? What do our morning announcements look and sound like? You know, what does an assembly look like in terms of those three questions? How do parent teacher conferences play out when we focus on those three questions? You know, every little part of our school is now embedded with those ideas. So really it starts, it starts shifting away from SEL and character from being this thing that we do you know, for 30 minutes on a Friday to being this thing that we do everywhere. Really, it really, I think, turns the page on making kindness normal. 
So in my book, Catherine, I break down each of those words, character, excellence, community, they're all acronyms. And so they break out into a bunch of different things, but it's a lot about, you know, empowering leaders. It's really a book that I hope anybody in a school could pick up and go, okay, I have a plan. I have an idea of how I can impact my sphere of influence. I mean, maybe your sphere isn't the entire school. Maybe your sphere is a classroom or a library or an office space, or maybe you're a coach, you know, and you have 10 kids on a team. We really at our school look at everybody as a leader because, you know, leadership is just influence, plain and simple. And whether you're the bus driver, whether you're a custodian, whether you're the school counselor or a teacher, we see everybody as having a part in our kids' emotional well-being. So year zero sounds like a, a buy-in to really understand the why behind the concept that you're trying to bring into the school. So, and as you know, as an educator, we see so many new initiatives starting without that year zero. Uh, and you spoke of many planning processes. And I know that you started to talk a little bit about who is in that planning processes, you know, making sure that everybody feels like they have some kind of influence as a leader in the space. So my question is, how do you empower people to take ownership at that point of their role in these processes for bringing SEL in? That's a great question. I would say, you know, you're really looking for a certain type of person to be on the team. I think one of the, the biggest mistakes I've seen school leaders make is, just bringing in the eager folks or just bringing in that teacher or educator that like they need to change. So I'm going to plop them on this committee and, and hope that suddenly that they grapple with all of this stuff and, and go and implement it. I think one of the things that we know um, is we have to find those people that have like influence and, and, and so often I think we get stuck in leadership titles. Oh, they're the department chair. Oh, they're the school principal. Oh, they're the, the superintendent, whoever it is. And oftentimes we, we sort of miss the true leaders. I don't know if you're familiar with uh, Good to Great, some of Jim Collins' work. But he talks about, not in that book, but recently he's uh, talked about this idea of the shadow values and shadow culture within your school. I think a lot of times leaders aren't aware of the undercurrent that's actually impacting the school culture. And so, you know, being able to come in and help a school recognize, okay, this is, this is actually where people go for support ideas, uh, leadership. It may not be the person that has the title. And so we're really intentional with how we help schools create that team. And because I think that that team really determines a lot of the success moving forward. And when we start talking about it, most schools, their brain instantly goes to the educators, right? And it's, it's easy to kind of start, okay, go in that direction. Okay. This person is a leader. This person's a leader, but then it's, how do we wrap in the, the students? How do we wrap in the parents? How do we wrap in the local businesses, you know, and other community members, because we don't want this work to just be siloed where, you know, nobody else is talking the same language. We, you know, one of the things I write about in the book is, you know, building a common language that's community wide, right? So when, when I say the word kindness, our local grocery store next to the school, Yokes, they know exactly what that word means. And they can use that 
right back to us, right? And 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 they see the impact that you know we're having within our community. So I, I think you know back to your original question about you know teaming. I, I just think it's it's so critical to you know help a school find those key people that that really do impact uh, that undercurrent of culture. Yeah, I really appreciate the kind of like not just the internal educators students, you know, administrators focus. It's more of like also understanding like how do the support staff, the community, the, you know, the family and caregivers, how are all of those people involved in making this an effort that is successful, you know, uh, as or as successful as it can be. And so that community or, you know, collective <laughs> move forward is, I think, is really important to have. Um, and I, I work with the collaborative for academic, social, and emotional learning castle um, mm-hmm. in my education consulting roles. So I, that's exactly what their, what their model is, is like that outside our external rings are the ones that kind of go beyond the classroom and the school itself, uh, which is really, really important to have those, those extra layers in there. So I understand that you are a big proponent of combining experiential learning with SEL. Can you share an example and how that has elevated your school culture and climate? Ah, man, I I think experiential learning is where it's at. I I think there's way too much sit and get when it comes to SEL and character. It's it's a lot. I see a lot of schools that think they're doing it and they're just talking at students. You know, they're just, they're up in front of the group and they're just saying, well, this is what bullying is and this is what kindness is. And they're not putting kids in opportunities to really wrestle and grapple with, you know, big ideas and, 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 you know, really sophisticated kinds of concepts. You know, Catherine, we know the research tells us that if we only focus on academics, we're only giving students 30 to 50% of what they need to be successful after high school. So that means if we do everything we're supposed to do, right, they pass all their tests, like their teachers are hitting all the standards, they go through all the way, they graduate, they get their diploma, we've essentially failed our kids. Like that's, a, just think about that for a second. That's intense. So right away, when we started, you know, making that pivot between the proactive to intentional, that was the next pivot was how do we take this stuff from just being a thing and actually giving kids the opportunity to do it. So I'll just share one. There's a whole bunch in my book that I talk about, but I'll share one. My wife and I had an opportunity to take a group of leadership students uh, across the mountains to a statewide leadership conference called Service. It's really cool. They, they bring in about 5,000 students from around the state. There's authors and speakers and athletes, and they're just all these motivational kind of people that you know, get this group of, uh, leadership kids fired up. And then the idea is you go back and, and, and you, uh, bring that work into the, your schools. And so we're sitting there and it's probably three quarters of the way through this day. I mean, we've seen amazing speakers and we're listening to a 95 year old Holocaust survivor named Nomi Bon, And she's sitting up on stage and She's in a wheelchair and she's speaking in broken English and she's been talking for a while, sharing her story. And Catherine, you could literally hear a pin drop. 
you know, 5,000 students, you couldn't hear a soul. Everybody is just there with her, like present in the moment, right? Kids are sitting forward. You've got them like, you know, just hanging on every word. I look over to my left and there's an educator in tears as, you know, this powerful, you know, woman is sharing what it's like to survive a concentration camp. And I, I look over and lean down to my right. My wife, Jennifer, is sitting there and I kind of lean over to her and I'm like, we've got to do this. And she kind of gives me that like funny look like husband, or, you know, wives can do to husband sometimes. And I was like, we've got to do this. And so at the next break, we started talking about how do we, how do we surround our students back home with people like her and people like him and have, you know, these kinds of conversations in a really uh, authentic way with our school, because Catherine, the, the reality is we had taken just a handful of students, you know, across the mountains to this. So we had another 800, 900 students that were not experiencing this moment. So how would you possibly recreate something like this? So we started uh, toying with the idea of creating a podcast. And so one of the things that we do at our school is we created a student-led leadership podcast where our kids can essentially interview experts on you know, different topics of interest. So they talk to speakers and authors and athletes and all these kinds of folks from all over the world, actually even other leadership students, which has been really cool too. But they, they focus on, you know, a variety of topics. So it might be anxiety or it might be uh, parenting strategies or it might be self-harm or it might be social media, you know, whatever is particularly relevant to our 12, 13 and 14 year olds. They, after the interview, they do what we call a debrief where students essentially just kind of reflect and connect to what they learned. So, okay, we listened to John Gordon, who talks all about the energy bus and, you know, what it's like to live a joyful life. Cool. Now let's spend 10 or 15 minutes breaking that apart and how that applies to our life. Right. And so that's how we kind of wrap up each of these podcasts. And then we send them out, we share them out with the world. And I don't know, I, I think we knew what we were, we were starting, but I, I mean, I, we had no idea the impact that we were going to have. It's been incredible. One of the things that I, I talk about in the book is, you know, secondary experiential learning. I'd never heard of this, you know, experiential learning is doing, and then sort of reflecting on the doing. But what we noticed with this kind of experience with a podcast, you can actually create a secondary experiential effect, which was really cool. Like, so students could listen and then they could then impact their own communities from wherever they were. So uh, we had a, a leadership expert named uh, James Hunter, who wrote a couple of great uh, leadership books on our podcast. And he sort of challenged our students that, boy, I wish I would have been that, that uh, kid in middle school that would go sit with the new kid, right? And, and wouldn't have them just sitting by themselves. And he just kind of did it in a really subtle way. We didn't really think much of it. About a month later, one of our podcasters brought it up and she said, you know, well, I've been doing that. My, my friends and I, we've been going and we've sit with like, you know, not just the new kid, but like whoever just kind of looks like they might need a little extra support. Like they're just like kind of by themselves and like alone in a crowd sort of thing. 
And it's been really cool and it's felt really great and we're going to keep doing it. And we thought that's cool. We didn't really think much of it. So probably another month goes by and we had a school from Pennsylvania reach out to us and say, Hey, just so you know, we've been listening to your podcast. We love the work that you guys are doing, but this one thing that we listened to on your podcast by Audrey, that was her name at Uh, she's no longer at our school, but she was there and she talked about going and sitting with a new kid. So we started doing that in our school. So we now have a group of students that are doing that and it feels really amazing. And we're having, you know, lots of success and and positivity in our lunchroom because of it. And so I just want to say, thank you. Well, Catherine, I can't even begin to tell you what what kind of transformation that does in a, a teenage brain when they suddenly realize that when they speak into a microphone, they have the ability to change behavior thousands of miles away. So, you know, I think people really quickly see like our student podcast is like, that's a great idea for your school. But I think what's been really the game changer is that our kids realize that they can now impact schools all around the world. Yeah, I think it's so powerful to have students have a voice in their learning. Um, And I I loved the example, uh, especially of that idea of us, you know, for a new student, I, I, I myself was a new student, I moved from Boston, with a wicked, wicked strong accent, (laughs) all the way down to Florida. And man, they like students were not nice to me. (laughs) And I was definitely the one who was like sitting by myself. So I could have definitely used that for sure. Um, But I think it's so important, you know, going back to your original um, experience, I think it's so important for students to have these real world experiences and surrounding students with people with lived experiences, even if it's not something they experience themselves, bringing learning to life and making learning relevant to them and having them make those connections in an active way. I think it's just so important. And I wish I had that kind of experience as a student. Um, So moving on from that, I wanna get into the educator wellness piece. How does educator wellness impact school culture? Yeah, I think first off, you know, I hope that we're using really specific intentional language because I think sometimes in this space, we're afraid to to say words like mental health, right? And mental illness. And I think, you know, if COVID has taught us anything, it's that there's a lot of people out there that are hurting. Specifically, there's a lot of teachers that are hurting. There was a study that came out in June that three out of four teachers just this past year in 2020 going into that school year, three out of four teachers were struggling with anxiety. So, you know, I, I, th- I think we can't really teach social emotional learning if we're not first doing the work on ourselves. And Catherine, that's one of the reasons that I like this podcast. I like what you're doing in the world is I think that you're being really intentional about focusing on, you know, educator wellness, right? That's the name of the show. That's kind of where it starts. I I think in SEL and even character ed, a lot of times we skip to, okay, let's teach the students, right? And and we know that's not the right way. We know that's actually backwards. We we need to start with, you know, the practices that we put into our own lives and how we model those. 
I'll give you just one uh, story that didn't happen actually very long ago. So it's made a recent impact on me. One of the things uh, when you write a book is you get to do a lot of interviews. And so I had an opportunity to do uh, a podcast uh, a while back. I won't say the name of the podcast, but I was really excited about it. It was, you know, we were entirely focusing on SEL and that kind of work. And so the podcast host had read my book. So she had a lot of like, you know, knowledge. She, she had a lot of personal knowledge about social emotional learning. And so she, she really brought a lot to the table. And so I knew the, the questions were going to be super intentional, but she was relatively new to the podcasting space. So there was some like technological growth areas, I guess you would say, and you know, cause you're creating, you know, this podcast, it's not the easiest thing to do right out of the gates. Like you, you know, it takes a little practice, you know, there's, there's things that you have to learn along the way. And the morning of our podcast, I, I think literally everything that could go wrong from a technology standpoint went wrong. So, you know, we had to restart it multiple times. There was like, uh, you know, she hadn't done a download, I don't think on her end, like an update, uh, Wi-Fi failed. I mean, it was just a comedy of errors and we're finally ready to start recording. And she looks at me and she's like, Hans, can you give me just one minute? And I'm like, yeah. And, but to be honest, I, I didn't know exactly like, you know, what was it? Like, was there another thing, you know, something going wrong with, with the recording? And she closes her eyes and she does about two minutes of just deep breathing. And Catherine, you know what that's like. I mean, it, you and I are on a Zoom right now and we're able to just look at each other. And that's, that's what it was like. I mean, you're just basically staring at this person across the screen, eyes closed, breathing, practicing some really mindful moments. And near the end of that, she kind of does this little positive self mantra thing, kind of quiet, pops her eyes open and she's like, all right, are you ready to record? And I'm like, all right. And so we dove in, we talked for, a, you know, maybe 45 minutes or so. But then afterwards, I was fascinated to follow up with her because what she had done in that moment was practiced SEL. She had, she had leaned into vulnerability where so many people would have, you know, been like, oh, I'm going to fake it till I make it. You know, I'm going to play it off, pretend like everything's cool. She realized she had been a little bit rattled by all the tech issues and she didn't think she was going to be able to do her best interview. And she was excited about the interview. She, you know, obviously wanted to impress me and, and, you know, do a great job. And I loved how she was willing in that moment to go, I'm not going to worry about anything else. I'm not going to worry about what this looks like. I'm going to get myself right so that we just crush this interview and it's going to be really good and people will get something from it. And I came away thinking, number one, would I be willing to do that? That's, that's a question that I've wrestled with. Number two, how often do we not do that in schools? How often do teachers pretend like everything's good? Like, you know, oh, I didn't get woken up in the middle of the night from my three-year-old. I'm here. Everything's great. Let's focus on math. I, I think so often we're afraid to actually practice the very things that we're trying to teach kids. So I, I, it's just such a powerful reminder to me. Uh, students are paying attention and they're paying attention more to the things that we do than the things that we say.
Yeah, our own self-practice is so, so important. And I mean, I myself can feel a difference when I'm not practicing. <laughs> um, and, and also just, you know, in, in everyday work that I do, you know, it just brings like a whole different mindset to what I'm working on and allows me to give myself space to not react to something. Um, which I think is, is a, I feel like it's a superpower now, especially with like our, our windows of tolerance, like getting smaller and smaller as the pandemic is like continuing to go on and, and all of the other things that we're having to deal with over the last, you know, several years. It's just, I feel like it's having your own practice and knowing what that is for you. Like when in Wellness for Educators, we really look at all different kinds of modalities. Um, you know, it's not just yoga, it's not just Qigong, it's also spoken word, it's also journaling, it's all different kinds of things. And we invite educators to really embolden themselves to find something that is meaningful to them or find several things that are meaningful to them to really help them create that space for themselves. And, you know, as an education consultant as well, I mean, educators just have so much pressure on themselves right now uh, and not just on themselves, but from others. And, you know, shifting to online learning, which is my background, is it's a whole nother pedagogical approach. It's not like, oh yeah, we're just gonna transfer everything from traditional to online. It is a completely different pedagogical approach. And I think, you know, educators are, yeah, exactly. <laughs> educators are just not getting the, the kudos that they need for making this major shift in such a short amount of time. And I mean, the other thing is now they're getting shamed because of learning loss and learning gaps and like all of the negative connotation that's coming out of the words that we use um, to describe what's happening right now. And, and the poor students too, they feel the pressure as well. And um, you know, and they're going through a lot. Uh, you know, this is not what childhood is supposed to look like for for kids, you know, and um, so there's just so many different things um, going on. And just, again, like major kudos to the educators that are out there and to, to start something, even if it's small, and that's one thing with educator uh, wellness for educators that we do is there's small practices. There's like three to five minute practices in the wellness library, and we're continuing to add to them. But that's all it really takes, like you said, with the woman that you were doing the podcast with. All it takes is just a little bit of deep breathing to really get yourself back to center. So thank you for sharing that experience. I think it's it's really important for us to have those go-to, you know, exercises that really help to reground us when we're feeling kind of out of sorts. Um, so what are a few tips you'd give other educators to improve their own wellness or self-care? I think it starts with first off giving yourself permission to take care of yourself. I don't know that it's necessarily popular uh, yet. I, I think it's getting there. I, th I think the pandemic has reinforced that, you know, it's okay to, to not be okay. But I, I think it starts by really realizing that, you know, when we give ourselves permission, it's not about stepping on the people that we love or serve or support. It's about, I think, adding oxygen to our flame of influence to be even better. So uh, I would say it starts with you're worth it. If you're an educator right now and you're listening to this, you deserve it. Your friends and family deserve you to take care of yourself. Your students deserve this. 
that's where I would want to start as far as specific tips. You know, there's a few things that you, you just spoke about, um, that really resonate with me. One being a daily practice or multiple daily practices. And so, um, I think finding those things are really essential. I, I see self-care sort of like a muscle that we have to work out and practice at. And if we don't, it sort of begins to atrophy, right? It, it, it you know, it sort of is something that you have to, to put in the time every day. You can't just do a bunch of self-care on Sunday for three hours and then you're good. I mean, a lot of times it's something that it's these little, you talked about three to five minute, it really is those little bursts. So uh, a couple things that I do for my daily practice, I keep a joy journal. I really think gratitude can become a superpower for folks. And, and I really, I'm, I'm super intentional with just whatever's in there. It just comes out. I don't try to put it through some filter or judgment, or it doesn't have to make sense. Nobody has to see it. It's just for me. Like what are, what are things that I'm feeling uh, grateful for right now? You know what I mean? And I, I start every morning basically like that. Another practice that I do personally is uh, my wife and I go on a three to five mile dog walk. My day doesn't really feel like it started until that. It's good exercise. It's also that human and, and animal connection. And then, you know, before I head off to school, I, I eat some breakfast and that's just the, the, kind of those three things sort of like start my day on the right path. I, I honestly cannot even tell you the last time that those three things didn't happen in my day. Like I wouldn't, it's been a long time. So it's, it really is a part of my world. I think it's also, when we think about self-care, another tip I would give is that it's so important for educators not to lose sight of their purpose. You know, Simon Sinek sort of made start with why, you know, cool, but it's not just about finding your why it's about really being reminded of your why. So I have in my school office and my home office, you know, a little thing that, that has my why on it. And so, you know, anytime that I see it or, or, you know, it's within, you know, eye shot of it, it just sort of like grounds you so that the work that you're doing all seems to be related to some bigger purpose. Cause I think sometimes educators can get lost in, it's just a job, you know, and, and that's no, there's not a single educator that ever went into education wanting it to just be a job. Like it's a calling. And so I think when we have those little reminders, you know, whatever that is, I think that really is a big thing. I, I, I think another tip I would share, Catherine, is that the words that we use with ourselves need to be kind and intentional. I don't think we would ever say some of the things that we say to ourselves. We would never say that to somebody else. And so I'm a huge fan of, I don't know if you're familiar with Dr. Susan David's uh, work out of Harvard Medical uh, School. She wrote a book called Emotional Agility. Uh, got a great TED talk out there as well. But one of the things that she talks about is that we can actually experience a duality of feelings and thoughts when we're met with emotional adversity, right? So somebody, maybe a parent sends you a nasty email, like something that's, that's kind of mean, or maybe a colleague is kind of snarky with you in the lounge or, or, you know, a student is pushing some buttons, uh, in the classroom. When we're met with emotional adversity, we have the ability to helicopter above those feelings. When we use specific language with ourselves, like I notice myself feeling angry right now, 
which is completely different than saying I'm angry. What it does is it gives us kind of this meta view of our emotional experience. And it's effectively like a psychological pause where we can go, who do I want to be in this moment? I just got this nasty email from this parent. Do I want to be the person that gets the last word in, you know, says something smart and, and hurtful back? Do I want to be the person that uh, walks away from the situation or takes a few minutes before I respond? You know, do I want to lean into curiosity and, and maybe find out more? Maybe there's, you know, maybe I, I can assume a best intentions of this person and, and maybe just, uh, you know, starting with some questioning uh, might help me uncover a little bit more about what's going on. But I think the, the language that we share internally, it just plays such huge, huge dividends in our own emotional well-being. Yeah, so many things that you just said, <laughs> kind of like having this popcorn moment in my brain um, with all of the, the neural networks. Um, so first of all, the idea of like you being kind of like that silent observer on yourself and before you you react and, and again, back to that daily practice and how important it is to have that space that you've created so that you can have a little bit more room before you say, oh, like react to something, right? And then I love the idea of the joy journal. We do um, an educator wellness circle once a month. And one of the women that hosts it, uh, co-hosts it is, uh, is uh, big into journaling. And I love that part. And I, I just, I, I think it, and everybody always says like, they love to actually do that kind of thing. And, but it's so interesting that a lot of people don't do it on a regular basis. Like I don't do it on a regular basis, but I love it when I do it. So it's like, I think that's something that I'm gonna add to next to my, my daily practice. But again, the purpose and passion projects, huge. I mean, Wellness for Educators was one of my passion projects when I was a <laughs> full-time, you know, when I didn't, wasn't in consulting, I was um, really, you know, focused on research and that passion project like kept me going. I mean, I love my research, but it was something that was like, I need to do this, I need to do this. And it kept on like pinging me, <laughs> you know, I need to move over there, I need to move over there. But now I have a good, a marriage between the two. But the, the other thing is just letting go of your filters. Like when you were talking about journaling, um, when you're writing or even when you're expressing yourself and it doesn't even have to be in your practice, it can just be on a daily basis, like allowing yourself to just be and, and, and being able to say, I am not okay, and not have to force your way through and push through as, as so many educators are really feeling the need to have to do with all of the pressures that, that they have on themselves right now. And I think too, that other piece of that conversation with like feeling like the need to force to push your way through it is that idea that self-care is selfish. And it's one of the things that drives me absolutely nuts about our society is like, sometimes that's the mantra that comes out is like doing something for yourself is selfish, but it's like, I can't do things for other people unless I'm feeling whole. Um, so until I am filled, until my cup is filled, I'm not able to pour from that empty cup. And so that's one of the biggest things that we talk about within Wellness for Educators is that you can't fill from an empty cup. You need to be able to fill yourself first so you can fill the cups of others. And it's 
it's such, it's, I just feel like that, that mantra is so important because there is such a societal need to kind of keep pushing, keep pushing, keep pushing. And I don't know if it's just like a Western culture thing or what it is, but drives me nuts. <laughs> okay. So I have to, I'm going to follow up because uh, you said so many things that were kind of like lighting my brain up too. One of the, my, one of my thoughts, and I want to hear your thoughts about this too, but I really think it does start with leaders, right? I think leaders have to be willing to talk about and, and model and, and put out there ideas around self-care. Right. And so I, I think one of the things that I don't see happening in education nearly enough is, are we talking about these things in teacher prep programs? Are we talking about what it means to have educator wellness before we're even in the classroom? Are we tying PLN, PLC, you know, collaborative conversations? Is there a piece here that we, you know, on a weekly or monthly or whenever we're getting together, are, are we, are we going there when we have staff meetings? Do we ever talk about how everybody's doing? Is there a check-in time? Is, is there, is there a time to share celebrations, right? And, and gratitude. I think self-care while it's an individual thing. And I love what you said earlier about, you know, you've got to find the things that work for you, right? It may not be the joy journal. It may not be yoga. I mean, it may be whatever it is personal to you, but I also think like we need to be an example for the other educators around us. I, I, I don't know. I, I'm just kind of like talking off the top of my head. So I'm curious what your thoughts are about that. Yeah, I think it's huge. I, I think starting with the leadership is so important because it really is they're they're really influencing the culture of an organization. So if I'm emailing people at, you know, midnight, one o'clock in the morning, and, you know, having this insistency of, you know, needing a reply back as soon as possible, like, over the weekend, working over the weekend, like that, even though I might not expect you as a an educator to do the same thing, but that sends a message to saying like, I'm not taking care of myself. I'm having to do things in the evening. I'm having to do things on the weekends in order to keep up with the work that I'm doing. And it's, I find that that's one thing that I find that could easily change things. Like, can something wait until, I know obviously there's emergency situations, but at the same time, can something wait and you can send it at an, an hour where people don't feel like, uh, like, do I need to respond right now? You know, that kind of a thing. And then also, you know, having a culture of boundary setting, um, you know, I'm not going to be available from six o'clock in the evening until seven o'clock in the morning or something like that. You know, having a culture like that, again, starting with the leader and then saying it's okay (laughs) to not be available 24 seven and in online learning, unless you have those boundaries set, it can be really, really unreasonable, unwieldy, because you'll have, you know, parents, you'll have your educator colleagues, you'll have your administrators, you'll have students contacting you constantly if you don't say, or if you don't put boundaries up yourself, this is my time. (laughs) I'm not going to be doing anything else during this time that has to do with school. You know, those types of things I think are going to be critical. And I do think the mindful 
you know, meditative type things, even just a breathing exercise or checking in, like you said, a wellness check, um, you know, even like peers that kind of check in on each other saying like, you know, you're my, you're my wellness buddy. Hey, how's it going? Or, and I, I hate to word, use the word accountability, but I feel almost like sometimes I need an accountability partner and something like, Hey, do you want to meet for five minutes to do a meditation with me at seven o'clock in the morning so that we can start our day. And if you need that kind of thing, so be it. (laughs) But, but I have, I have groups that do things like a warm welcome, you know, at the beginning of the meeting and each person has a turn to, you know, say, Hey, you know, for this warm welcome, what is your favorite thing to do over the holiday break? You know, that kind of thing. Um, And then everybody shares and you get to know people so much better and you get to hear, you know, what they're grappling with, whatnot. And it's just a, a time for sharing. And it's also a time for community building and relationship building, which I think, again, is something crucial, especially when you're learning online or remotely. I love it. It's great stuff. Yeah. So Hans, can you leave our listeners with one impact story from your work on focusing on the whole child? Yes. So I'll give you a story right from my book. A few years back, I had a local news station, uh, the manager of that station, reach out to me wanting to do a story at our school. Uh, they had heard about some of the things that were happening, you know, in terms of uh, creating a kind, uh, empathic space for kids to learn. And they wanted to do this anti-bullying piece. You know, this is, this is kind of how schools are trying to make schools safe, right? And so the manager said, well, I'm going to send somebody out and they would be there for maybe 30 minutes, 45 minutes tops, uh, do a couple quick interviews, and then they needed to get across town for another interview. And I was like, great, sounds awesome. So the morning of this reporter gets to school, uh, probably about a half hour before school started. And Catherine, at our school, every day we start with what we call our Wildcat Nation morning greeting, which uh, is us out there uh, literally, you know, high-fiving, fist bumping pre-COVID. Now it's more like foot tapping and uh, giving people elbows. Uh, everybody that walks in. So like literally every student, every staff member uh, that comes in the building gets, you know, a smile, eye contact, you know, greeted by name, uh, maybe a compliment, you know, whatever. We play music out there. It has just become the place to be. It's this just land of positivity. And we're out there. It doesn't matter if it's snowing, raining, windy, you know, whatever the elements, we're out there every single day. And we've done this you know, for years and we're out there and, you know, she's just in awe of this, uh, you know, site. And so she started talking to different people and the more people she talked to, the more people she wanted to talk to. And the more people she wanted to talk to, the more places around the school she wanted to check out. And Catherine, what started off as a 45 minute interview ended up stretching into over three hours. We couldn't get her to leave. She had been to, you know, talk with dozens of students and staff. She went to a leadership class. She went to, you know, part of lunch. She went to our PE gym space. She hung around the hallway. She just wanted to really take in and soak in everything that she was seeing. And near the the end of the interview, 
we're sitting there and it's myself, it's our school principal, and it's this news reporter. And we're sitting in my principal's office and we're just kind of debriefing. And if I'm being totally honest, we're trying to wrap it up because my principal had a meeting to get to. I had some students I needed to see, like we had no idea this was going to stretch out nearly as long as it did. And all of a sudden the reporter bursts out into tears. And I mean like full on ugly cry. And she's like, why isn't every school doing these things? And my principal goes to reach for a tissue and I start sort of mumbling, you know, well, that's, that's why you're here. So you can tell the story and, you know, maybe impact uh, other schools around here. And I'm sure I said some other things too, but I was sort of taken back by, you know, this emotion and she gets really quiet and really still. And she's kind of looking down and my principal and I sort of make eye contact as if to say, "Uh Oh, now what's going to happen. She slowly lifts her head up. She wipes the tears away and she makes direct eye contact with me. And she says, why wasn't it like this when I was in school? And Catherine, that's when I realized these weren't tears of sadness. These were tears of joy. Because for the next 15 minutes, she regaled us with stories of mean girls and disinterested educators and the trials and tribulations of surviving middle school. Prior to that morning, I don't think she even saw middle school as a space that could be safe and, and positive and, and a place for learning. She saw middle school as a survival test. Like if I can survive this, I can get through anything. So we slowly started, you know, kind of gently going back towards being in the moment and, and that shifted into some laughter and and eventually she went on and, and went about her day. But the cool part about the story is she stayed in contact with us. See, she's moved away from little old Tri-Cities. She now works in a big news market down in uh, Southern California. She's a big shot. But from time to time, she'll message us and say, how's Wildcat Nation? You guys still doing that character work? Are you still working on social emotional learning? How are things going down there? And I think she reaches out because this work matters, right? It, it matters to the, the student that's sitting in class just trying to survive the day. It matters to the parent who drops their kid off hoping that they're going to have a decent day at school. It mattered to this lady, 15 years removed from middle school. She walked into our building and instantly felt like what it felt like to be a kid again. And Catherine, it mattered to me, you know, all the, the things that I was dealing with at home and I would come to school and just try to like get away from all of that. So I, I guess what I would want to leave educators with as they're listening to this is thank you. Thank you for being in this work. Thank you for being there for kids and for yourself because you're literally impacting people's lives every day. Yes, that is an amazing story. And I, I think that it didn't take long for her to really see the difference that you were making in that space. And, and yeah, educators do amazing things every single day and deserve such huge kudos. And again, like in this past year or more, 
with the pandemic and having to shift and having so many different pressures on them, just major kudos to them. And again, thank you so much and congratulations on your book. I'm hoping to use it as a future book study for Wellness for Educators. Uh, Just before we go, Hans, if you can tell our listeners how they can connect with you and learn more about the incredible work you're doing to support educators, schools, and districts around the world. Yeah, thank you so much for having me today. Um, The best way to connect with me is probably through our website, which is awardwinningculture.com. It's the name of our podcast, Award Winning Culture, the name of my book. I'm also on Twitter and Instagram at Hans N. Apple. Um, We mentioned that earlier. I will tell you, I'll tease this out there. uh, My wife is actually writing the sequel to Award Winning Culture, and it's entirely focused on the classroom. So how do we take these, these big picture ideas and boil that down to what's happening within the classroom? Uh, that should be out this spring. And then we're co-writing another book that'll be out the next year. And it's, it's basically uh, how do we then take the work that we're uh, creating in these schools and impact our entire community? So we have lots of fun stuff that's in the works. Uh, we have a free newsletter that comes out every week with videos and, and you know podcasts and, and articles and blogs and all kinds of goodies. Um, so if you're interested in really you know supporting the whole learner, I definitely would encourage you to go to our website and sign up for that. And uh, yeah, I, Catherine, I feel like this is just the start of our conversation moving forward. I think you and I have so much the same vision with what we want to see in education. So thanks for having me on. Agreed. Thank you so much again. And and I'm looking forward to the sequel and the other book that's coming out. We're going to have future book studies galore from, from you and your wife. I'm wicked excited about that. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for joining us. Stay tuned for more episodes of Wellness for Educators podcast.